coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise me. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. Hey, what's good, y'all? Welcome to Who Shot Ya? I'm your boy. It's your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio, film reviews editor at The Wrap, my man, Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what is good with you, sir? Ah, uh, well, you know, um, I, I was expecting you to call me El Mero Mero de Navidad. I was going to say, you know, it's 50 weeks away, <laughs> but you're ahead of me on that we one. Bro, it's, this is, it's January we now. Can, we can all calm down. Yes. Uh, what's good with me is there's there's a blog called thecelluloidvoid.com, and they have put together a comprehensive list of d- films directed by women that you can stream right now on Netflix, on Amazon, on Hulu, and on Shudder. And it is everything from, like, early films by Deborah Granick to movies by Ida Lupino. Like, it's a really comprehensive list. And, uh, you know, given that the DGA nominations were announced today and it was a total sausage fest, mm. uh, it would be a good time to maybe go check those out. What was that website again? TheCelluloidVoid.com. Yay! Oh, and whose voice was that? Producer, film festival programmer. I mean, attendee of the Golden Globes. I still see the Golden Globe sheen on you from sure. here. <laughs> attendee. Attendee because she worked the Golden Globes. <laughs> yeah, em- employee, maybe. Yeah. Employee, yeah. <laughs> Drea Clark. Drea, what is good with you? Hi, guys. Welcome back to the, to the real world. Oh, my God, I know. I was <laughs> complaining before we started because... I've worked through like the last four weekends getting ready for the Globes. We only had two days off for Christmas. We only had one like New Year's Day off. Like, anyway, so I'm a sad, <laughs> soggy, tired human shell. Um, but you don't look it. No, you no you're a glamour push. You look great. Yes, to anyone listening, I look fresh as a daisy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what is good with me is I'm so excited that this weekend to like recoup and Rejuve. Mm. Can I do that? Oui. Rejuve. Can I do. make that a thing? S'il vous plaît. Um, oh, merci. Mm. Um, so I'm going to rejuve this weekend. My friend Ann Friedman, who actually is a podcast person, she has a podcast called Call Your Girlfriend. Check it out, nothing related. But she does um, this women's weekend desert ladies thing. And um, this is. And so it's basically me and like 30 plus 40 women I don't know in the desert for a weekend hanging out. And it's wonderful. It's all people like sort of through her and other friends of hers and from all across the country, different backgrounds. Last time there was only one other person in entertainment. So there's teachers. There was a sex therapist. There was a judge. There's all these amazing people. So it's just great conversation. But the best part about it, and I encourage everybody to take this away. I've taken it to other like group vacation-y things. Is drugs. The f- drugs. I was going to say, who's sure, bringing sure, mushrooms? Sure. Yeah. The mushrooms, right? Guaranteed. Day two. I'm sure someone will be doing yeah. mushrooms. But, Face paint on all of you. Yes, but related to that, the theme of it, which I love, is body's choice, which mm. is, oh, it's 3 a.m., you want to get in the pool? Body's choice. Oh, it's 1 o'clock, you want to go sit in your room and read a romance novel by yourself? Body's choice. Okay. Are you hungry right now? Eat a sandwich. Body's choice. So it's the best because, and literally, um, that read a paperback in your room by yourself might have been me last time. <laughs> I was like, that's so specific, Drea. Oh, it really was. Like, on the way in, I stopped and was like, ooh, I'll take you, pirate. And then I got that paperback from the grocery store and I went, but anyway, body's choice. I highly encourage. I'm very much looking for a rejuve weekend. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. 
And the last voice that you heard there, she's a film critic. She's the host of the Switchblade Sisters podcast right here on the Maximum Fun. It's April Wolf. April, what Hi. is good with you? Hi. Uh, I usually struggle to find out what's good, but mm. I've got a bunch. This is weird. Oh, shit. Rattle them off. Like <laughs> I, new year, new year. Like right now, I, mer- I Marie Kondoed all of my fucking shit. And, <laughs> and I, dr- I donated three giant bags of stuff. And I found the socks that Barbara Crampton gave me. And so, and, and if you guys think that they're fancy socks, no, they're just no. really nice crew socks that are comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> she just had a bag of them and it's just like, here's a sock for you. April, uh, April had my favorite Marie Kondo tweet, by the way, which was, I love how, how quickly these couples start weaponizing her advice. Does it give you joy, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> they did. They were like, does it spark joy for you, Kevin? Does it spark joy for you? And I was just like, yes, Marie Kondo. Um, but the thing that I... I am real happy about is something that was announced, uh, God, was it today or yesterday? I don't know. I'm blown, my mind is a little bit slow. Um, but Horror Noir is coming out. And Horror Noir is a new documentary that will air on Shudder. And it is all about black people in horror. Ooh. And it is okay. wonderful. It is uh, produced by a woman. Uh, one of the producers is Ashley Blackwell, who is uh, also the woman who runs a site called Graveyard Shift Sisters, which is all about uh, black horror. I believe I follow and them on Twitter. I hope you do. I think I do. <laughs> yeah, she's she's writes most of it, and then she kind of farms out some stuff. But like it's been her baby, and so this is kind of a, a big thing for her. Um, to do with all of the Shutter people, and I'm just so excited. And a fellow friend, I recommended Tina Mabry for oh, good. for uh, talking, and so she's in the documentary. Um, so yeah, it's just it's going to be great. I'm so excited. It's coming out in February. That's what's up, yo. Ricky, what's good? Oh, oh, he's gotten he so was, good I at that. I saw you looking at me, and I was just like, I'm not going to have a chance to take a breath. That one was aggressive. That was like a slap to the side of my head. 20, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's good is uh, Nas put out uh, Nas put out an album uh, last year, and he's been slowly putting out uh, music videos for him. And he just put out the video for uh, this. It's the best song on the album. The album is it's all right, but uh, this song in particular is called "Cop Shot the Kid." And it's about what you think it is. Cops shooting kids, shooting black kids. Uh, but, oh, it's got this dope-ass fucking DJ premiere, cool G-rap, boom-bap beat to it. And the video is great because uh, it's just like this really like gritty kind of scary look. It's not a city, but it looks like it takes place in L.A. And it's just like this dude who's like trying to escape from the cops in a cut with like Nas r- rapping on like this like really like dark, like desolate highway. And all the cops and all the kids, they all just repeat the the same hook, the same sample that they use of cop shot the kid, cop shot the kid, cop, cop, cop shot the kid, which is a sample from Slick Rick's song, Children's Story. That shit is hot. Check out that video. Damn. Do you know who directed it? I don't. I was like... For shame. I know. I know. I mean, I know it's on YouTube. Uh, YouTube will tell you. Mass Appeal released a video, so maybe they will tell you. Uh, We can find out. Yes. Yes. The internet will tell you. Uh, but it's great. Oh, it's so dope. And it start. Oh, and the video like starts off with like just this great audio of Richard Pryor's very, very famous joke of uh, black people versus cops. It's awesome. Uh, can't recommend that enough. The Nas album is I word. That's what's up, yo. What else is up today? We are talking about if Beale Street could talk. Uh, excited to hear what everybody thinks about that. I know it was on all of your 
uh, end of year best uh, best movies list. We are going to we got some things we want to let the Academy uh, the Academy know about. The uh, Oscar nominations will be coming out by the time this episode drops. So we've got some things we'd like to remind the Academy of before those nominations, and we will have our staff picks for you as well. Uh, but how about we get into that it a dick? Uh, that's our new segment, which is short for "Is this important? Do I care?" How it works is you listen to the show. Each of us is going to read a new segment. We will all jump in with our hot takes by answering these two questions. Is this important? Do I care? Uh, the first one, I mean, this past weekend, the Golden Globes happened. As we mentioned, Drea was there. A lot of things to discuss, y'all. A lot of things happened. Sandra O oh won. Sandra O oh hosted, along with uh, Andy Samberg. I'm um, told Emma Stone yelled, I'm sorry. for. Did she apologize, apologize for Aloha just yeah. for it being was, in that yeah. movie? Yeah. Excellent. It was in the middle of like a joke about whitewashing. Good, yeah. good, good for you, Emma. I'm glad you're, you're t- taking responsibility. Bohemian Crapsody won a top prize. Sick burn. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, nobody has ever said that joke before. That's me. Never. <laughs> but, you know, instead of asking y'all, is this important? Do you all care? Uh, we just want to know what was important uh, to you all. What did you care about? Uh, if anything at all, Drea, I don't know if you want to start since you were on the on the ground. On the there. premises. I was. I was in the ballroom at times, everyone. <laughs> Not to uh, brag, but let me brag for just a moment. <laughs> from the ballroom. Yes. I was in the international ballroom, and I turned to my good friend. They're all my good friends. Um, yeah, I feel what... It was interesting because we don't know how it's going to go either. Small background. I work on the video packages, so we do the nominee clips that you see. You also only see um, like maybe 60% of what we do because we make different length ones because it's a live show. They only ever show the short ones, but we make some beautiful work that no one ever sees. (laughs) So just know we spend months doing that. That's fine. That's fine. But um, I I, I was surprised at uh, watching the show thinking like, we're not really getting many clips of performances. Well, they added an entire new award this year, which actually was one of my favorite parts. Oh, the Carol Burnett. The Carol Burnett. So for years, for many, many years, there's um, a Lifetime Film Achievement Award named after Cecil B. DeMille, and that went to Jeff Jeff Bridges this year. And then this year they did an inaugural Carol Burnett Award, and like the DeMille, the first recipient was Carol Burnett. And, um, And it was lovely. It's Carol Burnett, and she's there and such an incredible presence and it was kind of this thing of looking around and being like respect your elders you all stand up right now you don't even know you owe her so much in so many ways I, I, I loved the subtle shade of her speech even like oh, oh yeah that wasn't subtle <laughs> yeah she was like uh, you guys don't do quality shit anymore <laughs> and you're all lazy like you can't we had this many live shows a week with a full orchestra yeah. with the whatever like yeah, anyway, so... Bob Mackie pooping out costumes. You know. <laughs> I know! <laughs> we were convinced amazing. that she was wearing Mackie, too. Well, probably. Her, her... I think she generally always yeah. does. Oh, yeah. yeah. She looked great. Anyway, so the Carol Burnett moment was great, and I also think the Globes are unique in the in the, in the ridiculousness that they are, because they do, they acknowledge TV as much as film, um, but because they come in sort of a film award season, the TV stuff is off shunted to the side. So it was <laughs> well, nice to... Fr- friend of the show, Matt Pivovarczyk, tweeted... Um, uh, if there's a nominee that makes you go, wait, that's a show? That's what's going to win. <laughs> like, so, I had no idea the bodyguard was a show. I barely knew the, the Kaminsky, Kaminsky method, method was a show. Kaminsky method. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, you could tell if we thought they were going to wa- win by where they were seated. <laughs> Proximity so, to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, moment, by the way, if they were white. Sorry? Well, no. Was, uh, the, <laughs> a moment that I, I was kind of surprised hasn't gotten more um, traction was that was Andy Samberg's joke about the Black Panthers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, oh, yes. Which Ryan Coogler seemed unprepared for. But then, like, he basically rattled off in about 30 seconds this notion that, like, they were murdered by the government and everything is terrible. And I was like, wow, that's... That's a heavy hit for uh, for the fucking Golden Globes. Yeah, I like, moving on. I, like, yeah. I liked that joke, but he like tried to get so many words in so quick. I was like, you are saying some real shit right now. Take your time with that. Deliver that fucking thing. But I, it was so much like, because they call it the Black Panthers, blah, 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 and now moving on. Yeah. I also <laughs> felt like this was going to be a year where like people were just... Uh, you know, worried about who was going to win. Like, is Green Book going to win? Is, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody? Because there's just like, if Green Book wins, there's going to be a speech that defends Green Book. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't believe Green Book won. I was one of the people here when we talked about it where I was like, I mean, are there people on any kind of like Academy Board who still care about this? And y'all were like, yep. I was like, really? Shit, yeah, no, I, I was I, wrong. I, I as have hell. been stunned. Like friends of mine who are not film critics, who are even like filmmakers who you think would have better taste, have been saying on Facebook, "Oh, Green Book, far and away my favorite film of the year." And it's like white people, of course. Yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You know. And and uh, Mark Harris had sort of a great tweet, sort of talking about how. The, the the success of Green Book is sort of indicative of just America in general. The, there are there are people who think it's uh, horrifying, and other people who who like cling to it. And the fact that you know he was, he was these and these groups that give out awards are not homogeneous, and there are factions within them that hate each other. Again, just like America. <laughs> you know? uh, for those of you who saw the Florida Project last year. Uh, you are very aware of its star, eight-year-old actress Brooklyn Prince. Well, now she's decided to turn her sights toward directing. I'm nine now, but I really want to direct. Uh, with the help of Florida Project director Sean Baker, she's going to direct her first short film called Colors. She recently posted on Instagram a picture of herself behind a film camera with the following caption, My dream of directing started on the Florida Project. I loved watching Sean work and was inspired by his patience, vision, and creativity. Since then, my dream was to become one of the youngest directors of all time. Not only is Sean Baker helping out, but so is cinematographer Ben Lieb. He recently shot Mandy mm. and will be the DP on Colors. Is this important? Do you care? Uh, I like that she's doing a remake of the Robert Duvall Colors. Oh, colors, from, Colors. Uh, I mean, that's my favorite like part of the story. I like she's doing Colors with a U. I know. I was just like, <laughs> I talked to her. She's not Florida, British. Right? Yeah. <laughs> she really liked the favorite, so, you know. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, I do I do think this is important, and I care. I think the there's probably a smoother hashtag of the, like, if she sees it, she knows she can do it in that world, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I totally believe that. And I also think, having taught film for years, that in watching my female students versus my male students, even now that I would watch female students more hesitant on a technical level of, like, just kind of getting in there. And I love the idea of, oh, do that when you're young, before you know that you should be afraid of things or how yeah. things go. So, uh, yeah, I'm a I big fan. Jodie Foster would have done that if someone had told her that she could. Like, at nine, she was already <laughs> acting for so long. Like, I feel like she probably she was, like, tried. Yeah. And she was were just, just like, too short can't to do it. the camera. Yeah. <laughs> she shot half a taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know that. I would love if that was true. 
<laughs> and you know, and I'm sure like she does not remember a time in which phones didn't also True. take movies. So I'm sure there's a whole generation of kids now who just like from the moment they could grab their parents' phone away from them are doing it. I mean, I remember years ago Coppola talking about like you know digital editing and people doing you know shooting stuff you know editing stuff on their laptops. He said like some 13 year old girl in Michigan is going to make the great American movie, you know, and and it's interesting to see what the democratization of the tech has yeah. done. Like you know, if you look at a documentary like Tarnation or something, you know, that like yeah, we people have the tools in their hands. They might as well use them. Uh, moving on, a recently published study from Dr. Martha Lawson, the executive director at the Center for the Study of Women in Television and Film at San Diego State University, shows that the number of female film directors went down in 2018. Big surprise. I'm actually not surprised. And looking at the top 250 grossing movies of 2018, 8% of those movies were directed by women. This is down 3% from 2017 and down 1% from 1998. In a quote from Dr. Lawson, she says, the study provides no evidence that the mainstream film industry has experienced the profound positive shift predicted by so many industry observers over the last year. This radical underrepresentation is unlikely to be remedied by the voluntary efforts of a few individuals or a single studio. Is this important? Do you care? Yes. I have a question. When are women just going to, like, hijack Hollywood? Like, I just think you guys should just run that. Oh, my God. We're so close. I mean, I, we both, I see you April out and I there. both have tanks. We're ready. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing, too, about I even find these sort of the headlines of these are always misleading because what this is about is the top 250 grossing films. So a statement like the number of female film directors went down is erroneous. The number of female film directors at studios went down, but those directors are out there. Festivals are regularly programming and they mm. put their numbers out. We generally, like LA, Sundance, they're generally around 40% of the feature directors are women. Yeah, it's that they're not going on and being hired by the studios. At, at least half of Outfest last year was like, I think it was 53%. Oh, God. It was, that's it, was, awesome. it was women or trans filmmakers. Yeah. Oh, and we have, to, we have to account for the fact that so many women's films. And I have to say women's films, even though they're not chick flicks or something, that they uh, premiere at film festivals and then their only hope of release is at this point VOD or Netflix or Hulu. That's what I've been seeing. Like Jennifer Fox's The Tale was one of the best movies that came out in 2018. And that shit went on HBO and disappeared. Well, I mean, HBO bought it. Yeah, that's the thing, though. It's just like they took HBO because... What were their chances? Like, we've already yeah. seen how women fare at the box office. So that's mm. something that we also and, need to pay attention to. Mm. And that film played in our limited series category at the Globes. It wasn't yeah. even considered a film. It was a or made-for-TV movie, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I love today on Twitter, April, I believe you, like, challenged just movie watchers, like, just once a week. Or, or, you, or you might have just spoken to, like, a publication to, like, watch one movie by a, by a woman I'm this week. I'm just fucking mad at the DGA. You know? The there DGA you go. That was, it was towards the DGA. It's like... I mean, I watched uh, I, I watched a movie directed by a, by a by a woman last week, but that was just because I mean, my girlfriend was like, "I'm going to watch this movie." Because you're so dope and you do dope things. I mean, I don't want to say I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Barack Obama, my man. Yeah. You know, you know what can I'm talking I, about. Can I point out? So Please do. She says this other quote in here: "Without a large scale effort mounted by the major players, studios, talent agencies, guilds, and associations, we are unlikely to see meaningful change." Which is kind of what we were just saying about the DGA. And I can definitely say, on a festival level, the years where we make significant strides is when we put a personal challenge to ourselves to. Prioritize looking for films by women, films by people of color, films yeah. 
comes yeah. with different pres- you can't be like oh cream will rise to the top it's a fucking subjective industry after your cream like find some fucking <laughs> yeah. cream DGA is a problematic organization we'll say yeah. fuck yeah. the DGA this year, this year they nominated Peter Farrelly and didn't nominate fill in the blank yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, We've got questions for the DGA. We're going to have questions for the Academy later. Uh, But before all that, we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, we are going to talk about if Beale Street could talk. You are listening to Who Shot Ya? My name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And together we're the hosts of Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. What does that mean for you, the podcast consumer? Well, it means that you're going to get a lot of stories about how we used to do weird stuff to people in order to try to fix them. Do you know that we used to think diseases were caused by bad smells? And that we used to eat mummies for medicine? That's super funny. I kind of like well, thanks, and we hope you'll kind of like our show, Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. It's available every Friday wherever fine podcasts are sold or at its beautiful, picturesque home at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio today are... April Wolf, Drea Clark. Alonzo Duraldi. Today we are talking about if Beale Street could talk. Alonzo, I usually ask you to give us a quick synopsis, but like you said earlier, dog, it's 2019. I will be doing the synopsis. <gasps> Whoa! Yes. yes. Jump back. Yes, I am not as good at, at these as you, so I actually had to write this out. But I think I got it, yo. Right. I, I think I got you. it. I believe in you. Thank you, sir. Tish and Fani are a couple in 1974 Harlem. Uh, there are two leads. They're planning for their future when Fani is arrested for a crime he didn't commit and sent to prison. We learn Tish is pregnant at this time. Tish's family is happy as fuck to hear the news. Fani's family is not. Uh, through flashbacks, we see the beginning of Tish and Fani's life together. And in the present day, we see Tish and her family find ways to get Fani out of prison I will take my bow now. Oh, not, I nailed not, it. Oh, oh, you know that, that my was... brother refers to this podcast as Ricky Carmona. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> what? Are you going to be on Ricky Carmona again? <laughs> yeah. like, That's not appropriate. <laughs> but you really just earned that right now, that title. <laughs> well, I think April you and I support. will see ourselves out. No, no, you, <laughs> nobody leaves this goddamn room. Oh, no, I got I'm going to clean out my closet tomorrow, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. This movie uh, is based on a book by James Baldwin that came out in 1974, uh, but wasn't adapted until now. I believe this is the first James Baldwin English adapta- film adaptation in the United States. Yes, there was a there was an American Playhouse adaptation of Go Tell It on the Mountain with Alfre Woodard and, okay. and some other cool people. Okay. Um, and and then the, a couple years ago there was that documentary I'm Not Your Negro, which was actually based on a. Pro- book proposal for a book that he never even wrote. It's like, damn, I'm not, <laughs> not I'm never going to write a book as good as James Baldwin. We're going to write a book proposal as good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this this is a first. And and you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh, but he's so great, which he is. But he's also like not the kind of author whose stuff necessarily loans itself 
two sort of three act structure mm-hmm. narrative oh, cinema. Sure. You know, it's mm-hmm. po- it's poetic. You know, and it's um, it's very personal and very you know it's it's not so much about this happens and this happens and this happens. It's about like how do I feel about that and what am I going through right now? Mm-hmm. Like Giovanni's Room is one of my favorite novels ever written, but I would be stunned to see what a movie of that would look like. Yeah, uh, but Jenkins does a really good job. I have not read if Beale Street could talk, but I did feel like he. He has a story to tell and he tells it and he also sort of gives you all that delicious internal kind of stuff that you would get reading a Baldwin book about the characters and where they come from and and what they're about. And, um, you know, I I love the structure where it kind of moves back and forth in time and we, you know, you're able to follow, you know what's going on. but it's you know for for obviously for a book that's forty five years old, sadly it, it is as timely as ever. Yeah. Um. It, it, you know, I get on my on my uh, Facebook you know memories thing that I look at every day. Two years ago, I I had pulled this thing and it was a picture of James Baldwin with this quote about like if you want to know how the American justice system works, you know, ask the people who need it the most. Talk to poor people. Talk to people of color, and you'll find out that it's failing them. You know. Yep. And I'm like, and if you could talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, Barry Jenkins, uh, in an interview, he said, uh, quote, uh, Baldwin was speaking so much truth, many of these problems still persist. And I think that right now, in order to make a change, in order to have real progress, we need to look into some of the darker places and actually address some of these issues. Uh, I mean, I got from watching the movie that the issues are black love, uh, the representation of black love. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does it mean to grow up uh, black when the country is uh, in a transition? I mean, this movie takes place in 1974. Uh, Right now, uh, President Hot Garbage is literally giving a speech to people on television, telling them that brown people are still the enemy. Uh, Like, that. those are the things that, like, really, like, I was like, there's scenes in this movie where, I mean, they are just calling out white people at the time. But, I mean, it just sounds like you, you could just place it on the news today as you know watching people of color get arrested get you know yanked at the border uh was there what what things that you that you all saw that just kind of like resonated or you know really put like you know 1974 in a 2018 uh 2019 uh lens for you brian tyree henry he's so he? good mm. i thought of you because now i think of you when i see him i just he's i think he's just one of the best new actors that's come around in the past few years and he's just proving it again and again where his part here is so small but it's so resonant and fills in the blank of like this kind of this destiny you know that you that you can't escape that like this guy is a good guy he's just like a dude from the neighborhood and he gets picked up for something and it's just like this kind of foreshadow and that's getting led into that kind of conversation between two men who are, you know, not like hyper-masculine. They're just very vulnerable with each other and they're just, you know, they're having a heart-to-heart. That's not the kind of conversation that you usually get in films. And it was just so enlightening. And, and you know, you wonder how many times that conversation between two men of color has, like, happened in the world. We're like, I'm telling you this is what it's like. You know, and that, that to me felt... I don't, he's not in that movie for very long, but that guy is fucking good. And that that role just... It's perfect for him. There's a and there's a wonderful mirroring scene with the two fathers yeah. of the the couple in love, um, which I had a similar reaction to. Of oh, I don't, 
I'm I don't know a lot of men that age. Well, in okay, I've never been that age in 1974, but <laughs> um, there was something about listening to them and their perspective and their fear about being able to provide for their families and how they were failing and what they were up against, and then what they were willing to do and the cycle that perpetuated to support their family and just watching it in motion. I think Barry Jenkins is so good at creating moments and letting those educate you rather than that kind of bullet point filmmaking you get sometimes mm. when you're like, this is the lesson you're taking in. And one of the things Alonzo said, which I totally agree, is um, it is really hard. The One of the reasons I love books so much is that internalizing is or of the, of the characters, <laughs> of getting into their heads and their perspective and experience. And I think Barry Jenkins is better at that than almost anybody. There are like eight different moments in this when I was like, I feel right. Like when they're about to um, be intimate for the first time, I was like, Oh my God, my stomach is nervous. Like when I'm about to first kiss a new person, (laughs) like that, that you, it's an immersive feeling or Regina's response when she, you know, she sort of goes and she's trying to like find something out and salvage something to remedy this terrible situation. And we should say that Regina won a Golden Globe. Yes, yes she did. A Best very actress. prestigious Golden Glo- Globe. <laughs> Regina um, King. Regina King. Not the Regina Hall, the other Regina. <laughs> yes, Regina King means Queen King. I yes. don't know if you There's knew that. There's a Queen King and a Queen Hall. Yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> but, um, but like, even in that moment, you're right there. You're He allows for that um, immersive element to happen with his with his storytelling and I'm, the, the the scene with the amazing. two the, with the two families oh my god you know uh, th- there's it's god, funny uh, that that's is the a, thing humor yeah, pops it's, up it is a out hilarious of scene but it's also like it, it, he tells you so much about those characters and with so few strokes and you know everything you need to know about them about, know, about the mothers about the sisters oh like god. it was the, it was from their posture yeah. i knew how they were sitting what their whole stories were if it, it, it felt very it reminded me very much of like uh, i was talking about this earlier it reminded me of uh, romeo and juliet like when the two families meet and mm. there's just like that goddamn tension of like <laughs> mm, is your is your son good enough for for my daughter is your daughter good is your daughter good enough for my son and it's just until it fucking boils over uh, the the other thing that that April Andrea that, that you mentioned I'm just backtracking a little bit is uh, again the conversation between Brian Terry Henry and uh, and Fonny. That's a I fucking love, movie itself. I love calling them Fonny. Um, <laughs> it is a movie itself. Yeah, it it really is. And uh, Barry the Jenkins. The character's name is Alonzo, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> with a Z. <laughs> and, and we were trying to figure out where Fonny came from. And Dave goes, "Is it a thing where like people called him Alfonso his whole life, oh and so Fonny became his nickname?" Oh yeah, you I, were like this so. far from being a Fonny yourself, man. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Barry Jenkins and uh, the actor who played uh, Fani, Stefan James, have said that the psychology of Fani's character in the movie is built around the case of Khalif, uh, Khalif Browder. Um, I don't know if you all are familiar yeah. with that Khalif Browder case, yeah. which is uh, this black kid who was walking home one day, and the cops said he stole a bag, and he said, no, I did not. And they put him. They were like, well, you got to come with us anyway. They took him to, uh, I believe it was a juvenile detention center. Eventually, uh, he got put in a very bad situation within that center, and eventually he killed himself. Uh, and I was, I, I, I was praying so much watching this movie. I mean, there is a very, there's a beautiful kind of like mood to it, but there is also a very somber mood at times. Like, I mean, it fucking hurts. And I just kept being like, uh, man, this movie is going to end with this motherfucker not making it, with Fani just not making it. And it, it, it doesn't end like that, but it still kind of ends on a, oh, 
Yeah. Man, I, I think one of the reasons it's as powerful as it is is because that nonlinear structure allows it to not give you that relentless bummerness of it. Because when you get the respite of going back to those Before. moments of them falling in love and <laughs> right. all of those. And I said in our like year end wrap up when I was talking about this that I loved those so much the connection between them and the. The, you know, like the youthful optimism and just how powerful their love was that w- that it gave me a moment of breath. But then I was double resentful when I went back to like the future where they were struggling and fighting and how unfair and unjust it was. And, and again, of what that can communicate in terms of allowing me with my outside perspective to understand that process and mm-hmm. it's just I don't know if the book is structured that way but for the movie it adds so much because it was it was so hard of I was nervous for him so much and I was infuriated in a way that I don't know if I could sustain had it been chronological right. yeah that, that's I think that's also a very interesting the the depiction that you're talking about um, the closer that he gets to a Khalif Browder type of character becomes much more disorienting because that's not the kind of representation that we're used to seeing with men of color behind bars. We're used to seeing men of color portrayed as very machismo and immediately know how to step into that environment and be like very, you know, powerful and, and you know, try to scare people. But we're not it's almost used like to... they've been beaten down to be prison ready. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. But we're not used to seeing this depiction this of just like relentless scared relentless like i don't know if i can make this yeah and that's that's uh i mean you don't know until you see it and you're like oh shit that's so new it's so brand new the 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 first movie i can think of of a character like that yeah it's it's not a black character it's uh from and justice for all the al pacino movie where the one guy who he's like trying to like defend in the beginning who just happened to get pulled over because he has a broken taillight and then the system just keeps failing him until the end uh, I can't remember if he kills himself or he just gets killed in prison. And it's just like, but again, that's, you know, it's a white person's perspective that we're being shown. Yeah. There's well, all these other stories out there that aren't even, I mean, they're not even getting to the fucking script. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? They're not even getting to the studio. And it's very <laughs> telling that, like, that you see, you know, uh, people like the Globes and the DGA more willing to embrace a movie like Green Book that sort of paints this rosy picture of like, well, we licked racism because we made this one guy stop being such an asshole, as opposed to a movie that kind of says, no, things sucked then, and they still suck now, and we have to fix them. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's something that they're less open to hearing. Yeah, it's yeah. like the one person at a time, as opposed to the tackling systemic right. issues. Yeah. yeah. How did we feel about, I mean, this movie is so goddamn stylistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, did, how did you all feel about the, I mean... It happens in Moonlight just a little bit, the looking directly in the camera. Mm. In this movie, it happens on the regular. On the regular. I mean, there, there's times where... Th- oh, when yeah. when Fanny is in prison and uh, she is telling him, like, hey, I will be there for you. I mean, that, that was another moment where I was like, this is a message for Fanny, but it's a message for any black man in prison right now, any black man who's in the audience who might have been in prison or who knows somebody in prison. Like, this is a message to you. There was a... There was a oops, a lot of a lot of moments like that. Uh, well, he, he's talked. Uh, Barry Jenkins has talked a lot about the influence of Wong Kar Wai on his work, and uh, this is one of those areas I think where it comes out where there is that moment where it's funny because like you know 
it used to be that, that looking at the camera was kind of taboo. Like, it, there's a, there's a, not to get too into a rabbit hole here, but there's a film I love called From the Journals of Gene Seberg, where they talk about how Gene Seberg stares at the camera a lot in, in Bonjour Tristesse, and then, you know, that was how she got cast in Breathless. And in the setup, they talk about how, like, you're not supposed to look at the camera. Like, Jerry Lewis does it, and Bugs Bunny does it. But, like, <laughs> otherwise, it's going to take the audience out of it. But he, but Wong Kar Wai, and now Barry Jenkins has sort of found this way that, the, the, that looking at the camera actually, I think, brings the audience in. And rather than violate the fourth wall, it sort of like allows the audience to permeate that fourth wall. It's it's really almost like that principle of like um, you ever done that experiment where you just kind of like look into someone's eyes directly for a very like at least a minute, mm-hmm. and it's emotional, and you don't mm-hmm. expect it, and it's emotional, and there's you get something the Marina Abramovich going. Oh my oh, god! Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really intense feeling, and so you know you're kind of capturing that human psychology. Um, for the better. Marina Abramovich was the performance artist? Who yes, you would the, just artist like, is, the artist is present. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, well, she's she's a performance artist who's been working for decades, um, but she did something at the Met, mm-hmm. or MoMA, um, a few years ago, and they made a documentary on it, and it was this piece, and honestly, people just lined up for days, and then you would sit opposite her and just stare at her, and they recorded, and people's, re- most of them I mean, just the amount of people that would just stare at her and burst into tears. And I do think that's actually part of what Barry Jenkins is taking advantage of, of the audience and actor connection of, you know, you know, I keep saying the word immersive, but I think that this film brings you in so beautifully to care about them so much so that when it gets to those points that the, that they're looking directly to camera, um, it's not the Bugs Bunny jarring for numerous <laughs> reasons, but it's also I'm like when um, not uh, Tish, mm-hmm. Tish. Yep, yep, Tish. So when Tish is looking at me and that I'm like, oh, I care so much about this precious bird, and then Fonny looks at me and I'm like, oh, stay, you're so safe, and it's yeah, it's it helps envelope rather than take you out of it, um, but it, and it's also something that. You have to apply so judiciously. I know so many directors that would just drop the ball on that. And yeah. you're like, um, in the edit, how do we tell them we have to lose all of those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, degree of difficulty is like is a 10 yeah. on this one. Right? <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's go around. Y'all tell the people what you think. Should they screen uh, this movie? Should they stream it? Or should they skip it? Uh, Dre, I'll start with you. Um, I would say screen it. I think it's... I loved the visuals and the color palette. And I think you should take those colors in as big as you can. Um, That sounded vaguely racist, so please know what that I was talking about the color correction. I mean, I'm a comedian and my brain didn't even go there, but I love that joke. That's hilarious. Cover your bases. I think you guys should edit that out if that's going to be... white bases. Don't take this out of context. I can never run for office now. That will be used against me. Um, No, I think it's a beautiful film and has... It's just firing on so many levels. And I think it's... Um, it's one of those when it's award season, there tends to be what I call the vegetable films when I'm like, oh, broccoli. I know I should watch this because I need the roughage and the vitamins, but and you kind of have to psych yourself up. And this is not that. I think this is the kind of film that falls into the vegetable category. But it's such as soon as you're there, you're just like, oh, you're enveloped by it, even for all the hardships. So, yes, me, I would be a screen. Lonzo. <laughs> Oh, for sure, screen. Uh, uh, let it wash over you. Hmm. Um, 
so much to look at and 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 listen to and so many great performances and uh yeah it, this is this is a cinematic experience for sure see it in a theater right. screen it <laughs> <laughs> that's it just screen it nice. word uh i would say stream this mug i wasn't that crazy about Ooh, it you know racist <laughs> because this is how i feel about people of color no uh i just you know the movie I felt like Barry Jenkins was so in love with this material, like so in love Mm -hmm. that I just wanted like somehow for him to like remove himself a little bit from it stylistically, Mm -hmm. like get get out of the way of the direction a little bit. I wanted the movie to have like a little bit more urgency. I thought it was it's beautiful to look at, beautiful to look at, but it's so slow. The scene where I mean, I can just pick scenes off the top of my head. The scene where they make love. There's so many shots where they are just looking at each other. I which could is, have watched which is an beautiful. Hour of that. <laughs> I mean, one one shot felt like an hour. The, uh, oh, how terrible! I have to watch these gorgeous people undress. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I've seen beautiful black people on film before. This isn't the first time I've seen that. I mean, there's 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 shots in Black Klansmen where there's beautiful black people in it. Love Jones is out there for everybody. There's beautiful black people in that. There are movies with beautiful you guys have black heard of Boomerang, people. Boomerang, right? Boomerang is out there. You know, Boomerang like, and only boomerang <laughs> she literally was sleeping in the corner until we said boomerang <laughs> uh word this is dope y'all we are going to take a break uh hey i, I should let y'all know if bill street Talk is in theaters right now so if you do want to see that mug go see it in the theater you vote uh, with your box office dollars people <laughs> thank you Drea. thank you uh we're gonna take a break when we come back academy we're gonna let you know a little something about yourself uh we're gonna talk about the uh, upcoming oscar nominations and remind them about what the choices are we think they should make. Uh, you're listening to Who Shot You? Beginning this summer, you can listen to new episodes of Inside Pop every other week for an even deeper dive inside the world of pop culture. Now we're still bringing you our brilliant insight, always on the nose opinions, and insidery inside information on the most interesting pop culture stories of the week. And we'll also have interviews with the pop culture professionals who create the culture you crave. For example, we'll speak to casting directors about how they find the right talent for the right role. We'll talk to music supervisors about how they choose the music to create the right mood. And we'll grill producers who'll discuss what exactly a producer does. Oh man, Sean, how many times has someone said to you, oh, you're a producer, so what do you actually do? So many times. Same here. So make sure to catch Inside Pop every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun to indulge your pop culture obsessions. And to hear in-depth interviews from the movers and the shakers in TV, music, film, and more. Welcome back to Hushaya. I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio today are... April Wolf, Trey Clark. Alonzo Duralde. Uh, this is a segment now that we are doing called I'd Like to Remind the Academy. This is happening because, you know, I mean, we run the film industry here, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, mm. we, we don't like to put that out there too much, but we do. This episode drops a couple of days before the end of voting, which is on January 14th. So we are just, you know, we just want to kind of see if we can sway those opinions the right way. Uh, we have some things that we would like to see happen in the award show. Uh, we would like to remind them. Latinos make up 21% of movie sales, and they may want to include a nomination or two that reflects our community. A little something like that. 
just putting that out there. I know it seems crazy that we have to remind them, but this is just something we have to do. We're doing you all the service. Uh, so we're going to go around right now and uh, remind the Academy. Alonzo, would you like to start with one? Oh, golly. Uh, yeah, I'd like to remind the Academy that uh, Deborah Granick made a movie this year called Leave No Trace. And uh, she should be nominated, and so should Ben Foster, and so should Thomas and McKenzie, and so should the screenplay and a lot of other things in that film. And I suspect it's not. Yeah. Uh, who would like to go next, Andrea? You want to you let the Academy um, I'll, know what's I'll, I'll actually piggyback on that. I'd like to remind the Academy, um, I think in general there's this thing of referring to something as an Oscar-type film, an Oscar-caliber film. and I think Oscar-bait film. Oscar-bait film. <laughs> and I think that that phrasing and what people think of is structured so much towards male-centric films and that that's what's reflected back in Best Picture, certainly in Best Director. Um, when you look every year in the Best Actress category, and there's always a few hard hitters that are films that are not in Best Picture, they're not in any other category. And it's, to me, they're no lesser than, like, Hacksaw Ridge, but <laughs> um, Carol was about mm. women. And do you know what I mean? In, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. smaller, intimate stories. So I would like to remind the Academy that when we're thinking of Best Picture... We might want to reevaluate what we think goes into making a film great because I think it's been limited in scope and has steered that ship in a very particular direction over so, the years. Somebody tweeted today in response to the DGA nominations, I love how these guild members only see 12 movies a year. <laughs> it's true. SAG Awards, too. Yeah. Yeah. SAG, oh my God, the SAG nominations just kill me. Fuck. <laughs> so bad. April, do you have something you'd like to remind the Academy about? Yeah, you know, I mean, Leave No Trace is something that I've been beating my drum on for a long time, and Deborah Granick for Best Director, obviously. Um, but I also would want to remind the Academy that Can You Ever, Can you ever Forgive Me mm. is a movie that you will want to watch again and again and again. And not and just w- for Richard E. Grant. No. <laughs> and, it, and it's one of those movies where, like, the longer I sit with it, the more times I've seen it, which is twice now, like, in spaces apart, I'm just like, no, this is good fucking filmmaking. Everything is firing <laughs> all together, but it's a quiet story, whether it's the cinematography, whether it's Melissa McCarthy's fucking ace performance and mm. she's not getting enough love either richard e grant is thankfully getting some love for his performance and this kind of um like non-sentimental view of a lesbian and a gay man in like the 1990s and just in new york and that just they're kind of like banter back and forth is something that is going to stay with me for such because it's such a such a small movie you know mm. but it's saying so much out of the context mm. of the movie it's it's saying so much without doing a lot mm. both leave no trace and can you ever forgive me i think are directly what i'm talking about of films that absolutely don't get considered like oh it's yeah. not an oscar but it's good but it's not an oscar film mm. um and it's to our detriment but it's just mm. like no no that shit is oscar like these are movies that will stay with me yeah. for forever more than the king's speech ever will. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes uh i'd like to remind the academy now there's i, I got a list of you know yes. best director possible uh possible possibilities best director possibilities uh, but I'd like to remind the Academy that I grew up watching your goddamn show. 
loving the movies and thinking, hey, any motherfucker can win an Oscar. And then 1989 comes around, or 1990, and you motherfuckers gave Driving Miss Daisy awards and didn't give shit to do the right thing, you know. But you all thought you, you were, oh, you, you all thought that you were some badasses just because Spike was in the building. And, you know, and Eddie, Murf- Eddie Murphy was up there, and he was like, this is great that this is happening, but, you know, a black person is the last person presenting an award. And then they didn't have him back on the show anymore. Uh, so I just want to say uh, Spike Lee is back this year directing Black Klansmen. It is one of the best directing jobs uh, this year. Uh, it's one of the best directing jobs he's done uh, in his career. And it would be nice to see uh, Spike go up there and get an award. You've given these motherfuckers to children. What's the little girl? Anna Paquin. You know, <laughs> when, when motherfucking five-year-olds got Oscars and Spike doesn't. Uh, Eleven. Whatever. <laughs> you know? I would love a five. <laughs> five <year old>. uh, <laughs> you know, if this girl who directs this movie Colors, if she gets an Oscar <laughs> and Spike don't, I'm going to be salty. That's what I have to say about that. It's totally going to happen. <laughs> Thank you. And the winner is Brooklyn Brown. <laughs> Spike will pre- be presenting it to her. Uh, be the worst. My, 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 fuck you, I'm done with this moment with the Academy was the, uh, the crash broke back mountain year. That was, I mean. Yeah, I think we all have, we all have that moment as adults. Because, yeah, you grow up, especially little gay boys, you grow up watching the Oscars and taking them seriously. And then you become an adult and you discover the movies that they ignore and the movies that they they honor and it's like oh wait this is actually bullshit and then at some point you're just like nope fuck it <laughs> um i'd like to remind the academy that as much as you loved the cinematography and the storytelling of roma that it was yalitza aparicio's performance that really ties the whole thing together and um punches you in the heart until you weep so uh it's she's a got vi- a beautiful face it, it, it's very expressive incredibly face. gorgeous and and such a, like for a woman who's never acted a movie before had me in the palm of her hand delivers one of the great close-ups i think in the history of cinema uh so yeah uh it's a very competitive year for women but do not sleep on yalitza aparicio um i saw her at the globes and she is very wee and i wanted to cry i was like (laughs) (laughs) that's uh that was my full reaction (laughs) um i would like to remind the academy that Although they had their weird, half-hearted, then aborted idea of doing a popular category Category. this year, which seemed like they were doing it entirely, to me, for the stupidly, just a bad idea of, ooh, I bet if we give something to Black Panther, we'll have better ratings. But you know what? Black Panther deserves your best picture nod anyway, and like Alonzo says, we think it has a good shot at it, but that movie stands up, I think... Technically, narratively, it struck me. I think it's doing so much on so many levels. It's incredible to look at. It's um, it's a full movie on its own, even though it's part of this whole other franchise. The world building, the characters, the moments. Anyway, Black Panther, I would love to see in the best picture in the best picture uh, whole range. I realize I started this all with, we need to consider films that aren't necessarily Oscar type, but this actually sticks with that too, because this is not the kind of film sure. that you're like, oh, it's not an Oscar film. And, you know, maybe I say, in the tech category. Yeah. Right. Fuck that. Have you, have you, you seen the ads they've been, the for your consideration ads they've been running like during Rachel Maddow, no. where it's like Angela Bassett and Chadwick Boseman talking about like this vision of our people. We've never seen it like this on screen before. Da, da, da. And, 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 you know, everything they're saying is, true and right and I just kept thinking and if you stay through the credits you see how it connects to the Avengers movie <laughs> <laughs> 
I would like to remind the Academy mm. that um, horror is a valid genre. There we go. There we and go. that yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Collette delivered one of the best performances of the year that took her to hell and back and to hell again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that should be rewarded because even just the physicality of her performance is fucking incredible. It is. She is. In which film? Hereditary. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everyone knows Hereditary. And Nat Wolf also in that movie. But, but yes, mainly uh, Tony Collette. Um, uh, I, I think, oh, and Ann Dowd in that movie well, too. Always Ann Dowd. Oh my God. Always Ann Dowd. Ann Dowd is a creepy fucking woman. Just like kind of hysterical, kind of creepy. And just like, oh, yes. <laughs> More Ann Dowd in that role. And uh, I just have to say, you know, like we, we don't have the kinds of roles that allow women to be less than subtle now. And I love a big boisterous woman who is just angry and wrathful. And she's just, and this is, I mean, when we talk about archetypal mothers, like let's say this podcast continues 20 years later and we've got a Mother's Day episode we got to fucking fill. We'll be we're, here. We're going to be talking about Tony fucking Collette <laughs> <laughs> about one of our favorite mothers of movies. So there you go. I would like to remind the Academy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, y'all listening out there, if there are things you want to remind the Academy of... Paddington 2. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it qualifies. <laughs> Was Paddington 2 not on this list at all here that we got? Oh, boy. Oh, oh, Paddington I, I'd two, like to yo. remind the maker of that. I'd like to remind the Academy <laughs> list. <laughs> Uh, but all of y'all listen out there, if there's anything you want to remind the Academy about, go ahead and use that hashtag. Hashtag Remind the Academy and tweet at us uh, what it is you'd like to see uh, happen at the Oscars. Who would you like to see get some recognition? Uh, what movies would you like to see get recognized? Uh, tweet those at us and we will read them as we get closer and closer to the Academy Awards. That's what's up, yo. Want to make a plug for our Who Shot line, y'all. Uh, we love answering questions from you guys. Uh, we're in the new year, so how about y'all make it a resolution to call in with a question? For example, we were talking about uh, uh, movies uh, uh, regarding uh, seeing, seeing beautiful black people on film. If there are other recommendations for movies that you want, uh, call us in with that. You guys do a really good job, and ladies, you do a really good job of asking those kinds of questions uh, on our Facebook page. But feel free to call us in and, and let us know as well. Uh, our number is 979-803-1664. Hey, do a shot every time I said all right there as well. That'll treat yeah. you right. <laughs> All right, it's time for Staff Picks, y'all. Every week we ask the panel to tell us about a movie we think folks should check out, any movie at all. Treya, come on with it. Okay, so I feel I'm cheating a little bit because this was on my top ten list for the year, but it is newly released digitally, and so now you can rent it on iTunes and Vudu and all of that business, and it is a Danish film called The Guilty, oh. and I feel like it's, like, number one. I'm like, so good. <laughs> Guilty and it's so good. Um, it is a real-time thriller in one location that centers around a police officer who has been relegated to desk duty who answers the phone from a woman in distress um, in a car in a situation. And the whole movie, <laughs> and it's one of those things that you're like, oh, that's pretty gimmicky, but it's so tight and there's so much happening and it's changing all the time and they shoot the hell out of this police station or like two rooms in it, which I know sounds ridiculous, but trust me, 
it's it's incredible filmmaking and it's riveting from the minute it starts and it also surprises you many many times which i think is crucial in a thriller so the guilty rent it enjoy it Speak fluent Danish by the end. You'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have like you're required to. That's how that's how language works. Yeah. <laughs> Alonzo, what do you got? Um, well, we were talking about Barry Jenkins and his film Moonlight is about to be featured as part of a series that's coming up at BAM in New York, which I don't usually, you know, I, I don't get into that whole LA New York conundrum. I'm thrilled I live here. There's not much that I miss about not being there. But every so often I'll hear about a film series that's going on, like at the Quad or Lincoln Center. I'm like, oh God, I wish you were there for that. <laughs> so BAM is doing a series called Race, Sex, and Cinema, The World of Marlon Riggs. And if you don't know who Marlon Riggs is, he's most famous for the documentary Tongues Untied. Uh, but he is a super important queer black filmmaker who is HIV positive and his work is all about queerness and blackness and AIDS. And um, this is a, a breathtaking compilation of his work. Um Including not just his like you know very queer stuff, but also uh, his films uh, about uh, uh, black images in pop culture and on television. Um, there's a lot of James Baldwin stuff that's going to be incl- included in this as well. Or actually, no, there's, there's a separate program called James Baldwin Around the World because Baldwin was an, a big influence on Riggs. So they're showing a lot of shorts and features that you are not easily going to be able to access, as well as Moonlight. Uh, and so yeah, that is happening in New. York, uh, February 6th to the 14th. So, you know, get over to BAM.org and start ordering your tickets because I can't go, so you have to go. What is like you walk so someone could fly? Is that what the- <laughs> yeah. so then, I I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know the correct one, but I wouldn't tell you if I did because I like your version. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, 100%. April, what do you got? Okay, so, um, I did a little bit of research um, because I was thinking about the new Pet Cemetery and how much I love the Mary Lambert version. And I was just like, was that her first film? And then I looked and I was just like, what the fuck is Siesta? Oh, girl. And, <laughs> and so I couldn't find Siesta, so I bought <laughs> Siesta. And Siesta. Forever. Oh, I saw that in the theater. <laughs> From 1987. And I'm just going to give like the, the IMDb plot. Claire, an American, wakes up in a terrible state at the end of a runway in Spain. As she tries to recount her state, blood-soaked and bruised, she has flashbacks from the past few days. She thinks she's killed someone but isn't sure, and now she's wandering the Spanish streets without money or a clear memory. And so we, you know, we get also, like, these kinds of recounting of, like, her past love and, uh, it was described by some at the time, I hear, as a blue velvet for women. (laughs) Which I'm okay. like, I, mean, I don't think I would say oh that, mm. but it's certainly got some erotic qualities to it. Uh, but it's it stars Ellen Barkin, Gabriel Byrne, Julian Sands, Isabella Rossellini, Martin Sheen, fucking Grace Jones, Jodie Foster. It is a star-studded Did you dream cast. This movie into being? No, it it is like it is insane. It's based on a novel by Patrice Chaplin. And it's fucking weird and dreamy and strange. But it's one of those movies where Roger Ebert, I think, gave it like two or three out of four stars because he was just like, look, it all kind of falls apart at the end. But damn, was it interesting. And I was just like, yeah, siesta. Go for a siesta. You can find it. It's weird. But that's that cast, though. 
<sighs> it's bananas with a capital B. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my staff pick is A Girl Fight by Karen Kusama. Yay. Yes, I just watched that movie again uh, last week. It is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, at movies, you know, there's, there's certain movies like people, you, you know, I've, I've, I've seen it in reviews and I've just heard like people talk about like, oh, I've never seen this person before. They're a movie star. And Michelle Rodriguez is just like a movie star in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays a boxer. She plays a, she's a a high schooler in New York City who wants to become a boxer. She wants to be a girl. Uh, she wants to be a. She wants to be a fucking girl who whoops ass. And uh, it's a great story. Lucky for her, she's Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I mean, it's it's so dope to uh, to watch her in this movie. There's a lot of great Latino talent in it. Uh, I like. I'm glad I watched it because I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Destroyer. Next week, which is uh, what we are going to be talking about, uh, Girl Fight on Amazon Prime. Watch that movie, y'all. It's so good. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Yes, next week we are talking about Destroyer. Uh, we're going to have a guest with us. Graham Elwood of the Comedy Film Nerds podcast is going to be here. That'll be exciting. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, uh, please leave us those reviews on Apple Podcasts, y'all. We love when we see those five-star reviews because we give you a shout-out on the show. Uh, Jay O'Dallas said, working my way through the archives... I'm about halfway there because I don't want to miss a single episode. I love the perspective on movies offered here by Ricky, April, and Alonzo. Andrea. Oh, wow. <laughs> as well as the energy and genuine affection for movies and each other that the three of them bring to the table, WSY has quickly risen to become my all-time favorite for movie reviews. Thank you, Jay. That's what's up. Uh, nervous Jay. in Nola says, Every week I look forward to this showing up in my feed. Great hosts, especially my boy Ricky, having a super fun and insightful conversation about whatever is new in the world of cinema. Great guest host, too. Keep it up, guys. Yes. Ooh, I'll do this. Um, Allison underscore two. I was introduced to this podcast when I heard April on the Flophouse podcast, yeah. a longtime favorite. Really enjoy the camaraderie between April. Oops, nope. Ricky Alonso and April <laughs> and appreciate the diversity of opinions and the hosts and guest hosts as well. Also, just bought Alonzo's book on iTunes Woo. so that I don't waste another second of my valuable holiday time on another boring Christmas movie. End quote. <laughs> thanks and Merry Christmas from Snowy Ottawa. Oh, thanks, Allison, and Merry Christmas. Aww. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody. Thank you to everybody who uh, who, who leaves us uh, reviews on a podcast. Those are much appreciated. Uh, and thank you to April, Drea, and Alonzo. Always a goddamn pleasure to kick it with y'all. Always a delight. If I can plug one thing real quick. I wish you would. Uh, If you were somebody who used to watch me on What the Flick uh, on the Young Turks Network, that is no longer a thing. Uh, They got rid of all of their non-political shows, and sadly that included us. But if you have been missing your weekly dose of me and Christy Lemire and Matt Atchity and Ben Mankiewicz, uh, check out our new podcast, Breakfast All Day. We are on YouTube, and you can get the whole podcast on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and the usual places. Nice. Word. All right. Dope. If you have comments or suggestions about this week's show, tweet us at whoshoutyapod. Send us an email at whoshoutyamaximumfun.org. Uh, a reminder to you all, leave us a message on the Who Shot line. The number is 979-803-1664. That's 979-803-1664. Call in if you got questions, recommendations, and we do love them compliments. Yo, so that's what's up. Hashtag our, Remind the Academy. Hashtag Remind the Academy. Uh, our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of MaximumFun.org, and that is What Is Up. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.